As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. Good morning. Welcome to the Daily Transfer Briefing from The Athletic. It's Monday the 15th of January. I'm Tim Spears and on today's show... A new era edges closer at Manchester United. There was a couple of Glazer chants that perhaps weren't as loud as, as they have been recently, so I don't know if that was a message to Sir Jim Ratcliffe. Why were Barcelona so bad in El Clasico? It's just gone off the rails completely for, for Barca this season. Madrid looked so you know, in control. And FFP trouble for Everton and Forest. Points, deductions, fines, they have a wide scope. This is the Daily Transfer Briefing with Tim Spears. Plenty of news and views on the way, but we start with our roundup of the weekend's big results from England and across Europe. The most dramatic game in the Premier League was at St James's Park, where a Kevin De Bruyne-inspired Manchester City came from 2-1 down to beat Newcastle 3-2, with Norwegian forward Oscar Bob netting a stoppage-time winner. Get back to within touching range at the top, and here is Oscar Bob! Oh, that's so neat! That's so telling! City are second in the table behind leaders Liverpool, who had the weekend off. Aston Villa missed the opportunity to leapfrog City on Sunday after a drab 0-0 draw at Everton. There was also a draw at Old Trafford, but a much more entertaining one. It finished 2-2 thanks to Rodrigo Bentancur's equaliser for Spurs, and we'll have more on that game shortly. We'll also focus on Real Madrid's 4-1 shellacking of woeful Barcelona in the Spanish Supercopa out in Saudi Arabia. 3-1, Real Madrid 2 in front again. Patrick for Vinicius Junior. In Italy, Inter Milan extended their lead at the top of Serie A with a 5-1 thrashing of Monza. They're five ahead of Juventus, who don't play until tomorrow, and eight ahead of AC Milan, who beat Jose Mourinho's hapless and ninth-placed Roma. PSG and Bayer Leverkusen both won to maintain their leads in France and Germany, respectively. Also in Germany, Bayern Munich paid tribute to the great late Franz Beckenbauer with a 3-0 win over Hoffenheim. Yes, of course, Harry Kane scored. Oh, Harry Kane! And there it is! Right on 90 minutes! And Franz Beckenbauer's song is played again here at the Allianz Arena. Dortmund also won 3-0, a game notable for the return of one Jadon Sancho. Great pass on the Jadon Sancho, sets of Marco Royce. The old combination, it still works, they still have it. 
he played 35 minutes off the bench and set up a goal for Marco Royce. Some idiot called Tim Spears was in Darmstadt to see it and has written an article about it on The Athletic, if you fancy. Eric Ten Hag doesn't want Sancho, but he will want spending money from the club's soon-to-be part owners. And Sir Jim Ratcliffe revealed on Sunday that his Ineos deal to buy 25% of United should be official by mid-February. Ratcliffe attended his first United match in his new role as he watched United draw 2-2 with Spurs. The billionaire also spoke to the media before kick-off. Our man Laurie Whitwell was, of course, there and he joins us now. What did Ratcliffe say in this pre-match chat then, Laurie? He came into the press conference room, stood up throughout uh, for a kind of quick introduction um, and he didn't want to get drawn into too many specifics but I think the point of it was for him to show himself, uh, say hello to the people that are going to be reporting on his regime at Manchester United and I guess a sign that he will have much more communication than the Glazer family who basically did no media throughout their whole tenureship since 2005 apart from a Joel Glazer interview with MUTV. He didn't say too much uh, aside from the fact that he thinks the Premier League gratification which is the final step of this process will come in early to mid-February. He didn't want to get drawn on first impressions of life at Carrington or United but clearly uh, the way he answered it sort of gave away a little bit that he thinks there's some work to do there for sure Uh, and I think anyone one can see that um, and yeah the one sort of throwaway line kind of comedic was uh, yeah he hopes that they don't find anything dodgy in his CV uh, in terms of the Premier League that is obviously a big deal to have him in attendance what was the atmosphere like at Old Trafford with him there I don't think there was any particular difference with him being here aside from it was quite a star-studded director's box you had George Russell who is a uh, driver for the Mercedes team that Ineos have got an investment in Wayne Rooney was here Luke Littler the 16 year old darts player that came so close to winning the world championships over New Year was here as well he's a United fan uh, so yeah quite a lot of celebrities in the director's box but the atmosphere itself was kind of as you'd expect really wasn't anything extra I suppose um, aside from there was a couple of Glazer chants that perhaps weren't as uh, loud as, as they have been recently so I don't know if that was a message to Sir Jim Ratcliffe and what about the match itself Laurie any takeaways it was pretty back and forth I thought United started very well Tottenham came back into it in, in the first half um, looked a real threat on set pieces United very vulnerable uh, in that aspect and they'll have to work on that in the weeks to come uh, but then they rallied again nice uh, goal from Marcus Rashford who sort of seemed to be giving an indication to his critics by celebrating with a sort of uh, a sort of hand gesture that suggested people have been speaking too much about him and then Tottenham really took advantage of United's sluggish start to the second half by equalising and then I suppose as the game wore on you perhaps think United perhaps had the better opportunity to win it um, certainly at the very end it was nearly a Fergie time winner with Scott McTominay rising to Garnacho's cross uh, but just getting his jump wrong and, and heading the ball over the bar so that could have been the goal that sparked celebrations that would have been you know, cameras trained on the director's box and Ratcliffe and Ferguson celebrating together but uh, it wasn't to be it finished as 2-2 uh, an overall decent display in front of Sir Jim Ratcliffe and you can hear more from Laurie in the latest episode of Talk of the Devils out today you're listening to the Daily Transfer Briefing with Tim Spears Real Madrid were clear favourites to beat Barcelona in El Clasico on Sunday in the Spanish Supercopa, but even still, a 4-1 thrashing was a big surprise, especially the manner in which Barca were dismantled in a first half that saw Vinicius Jr. score a hat-trick. Robert Lewandowski did pull one back for Barca in the first half, but Rodrigo made sure of an emphatic victory after the break, with Barca's misery compounded by a red card to Ronald Araujo. Our Spanish football expert Dermot Corrigan joins us to pick the bones out of this one. Dermot, it's a pretty obvious question, but are these are these two teams just heading in very different directions right now? 
Yeah, definitely. So um, just writing in the, the blog that we did on the Athletic, the live blog on the game, that 12 months ago, Xavi seemed to have the upper hand over Ancelotti. Barca were back, as, as they kept saying. But it, it's just gone off the rails completely for, for Barca this season. Madrid looked so you know in control. It looked easy for them at times. It looked like they could score almost as many goals as they wanted, whereas Barca were a shambles. The defending for the opening goals was, was just awful. Um, and there was no real sign of a fight back. Um, Xavi made a few changes in the second half, but Madrid... You know, embarrassingly easy for them. I mean, they've been so unconvincing in recent weeks and months now. Um, eight points off the top of La Liga. You know, we've seen Barcelona managers in in the past lose their jobs for a lot less than this. I mean, is, is Xavi's position in any in any danger at all? Ernesto Valverde lost his job after losing in a Supercopa, um, and he was also the the reigning La Liga title holder at, at that stage. I don't think Xavi's going to get sacked this week, but unless something changes, I don't think Xavi will be the Barca manager next season. The relationship with Laporta is not great. There's been a lot of changes at, at the club. Deco's come in as sporting director. He's much closer to Laporta than he is to Xavi. You know, Xavi... He is the he's the much loved playmaker, you know, such a thinker on the game, you know, so in in love with but the Barca way, such a symbol of La Masia. But you don't see that in the way the team is playing. They're they're a real shambles, and you know he's asking for more players now in January. Barca don't have the money to go out and uh, and sign more players. They've still got Napoli coming up in the in the Champions League in a few weeks' time. You know it'd be strange to change the manager before that game. But you know as I said before, unless Xavi can turn things around at Barca, his long term future in the job is is not looking good. Now, Everton and Nottingham Forest are expecting to be referred to an independent commission over breaches of the Premier League's profitability and sustainability regulations. Everton had already been deducted 10 points this season for breaking the same rules over a previous time period, while Forest were always at risk, having spent around £250 million on new signings since promotion. David Alstein reported on this story on Sunday, and he joins us now to offer a bit of an explanation as to what's going on here. What are the breaches, David? In the Premier League, there is a three-year monitoring period. Within that three-year period, uh, you are only uh, permitted to lose a maximum of £105 million. If you're a promoted club within that spell of years, your losses can only be a maximum of far less than that, around about £60 million. Everton were found in breach of those profit and sustainability rules. They were charged in sort of the springtime of 2023. The case didn't come to a head until autumn of 2023. In the meantime, we've moved on to the next period of profit and sustainability calculations. And Everton are expecting to be found in breach again because that £19.5 million breach they were adjudged to have committed in the last cycle has not been eroded this time round. They believe that it is the same breach again. Nottingham Forest, a very different case in that they have come up to the Premier League. Their permitted losses as a team that has been in the EFL within the last three-year cycle a lower. They've spent extremely heavily on players. They were hoping to balance the books through the sale of Brennan Johnson. If they had managed to do that before the 30th of June, the cutoff and the accounting period, I presume they would have been okay. But they didn't. It went down to pretty much deadline day. They believe that if they had sold him before June the 30th, that they would not have extracted the value that they feel he was worth. And so their mitigation 
against a charge will be that we were doing what you should do to extract maximum value from an asset. And that should be factored into the calculation, even though we did it after the date. They also will launch a robust defense and raise mitigations. And we'll have to see where it goes from here. Okay, so Everton have already been deducted 10 points, as we know. Any idea as to what the potential punishments might be here? Points, deductions, fines, they have a wide scope. And one of the problems here is that there is not a great deal of precedent. Everton were the first Premier League club ever to be punished for a breach of financial fair play, profitability and sustainability rules. There was no matrix formula for how the independent commission that handed Everton 10 points got there and Everton remained furious about that. And these clubs like Everton and Nottingham Forest are looking at it and saying, hang on a sec, not only is this draconian, but it's a system that is about to be replaced and you're punishing us based on the old system. And once we get to the new system, it's plausible that we would be okay. We would be compliant. They're seething and you can understand it. And aside from Everton and Forest, and you know, just generally in the Premier League, it does seem like PSR is really affecting how clubs are spending this month. You know, we've got Manchester United only uh, bringing in a couple of players on loan, and Newcastle talking about selling players. It seems like it's having a really big impact on the whole market. Pretty much every club is having to think about it, and that's why there's been so little activity so far, and that may continue throughout the month. Newcastle is a great example. Their owners have the money, they want to spend, and they're not able to. You've got Arsenal, who are very close to the line, and so that's why it's well documented that they've not got a lot of wiggle room in this window. You've got Manchester United, similarly. It might be dry, boring, drab, and confusing, but it's a really important, crucial part of the game that we're going to have to get our heads around. Cheers, David. Also over the weekend, the Asian Cup and the African Cup of Nations both got underway. Mozambique nearly caused a huge upset against Egypt, but Mo Salah saved their blushes with a late equalising penalty. Senegal, Cameroon and Nigeria are all in action today, with matches screened on Sky Sports over here and BN Sports in the US, while the Asian Cup is on Paramount Plus, with South Korea getting their campaign underway later. That's all for today's Daily Transfer Briefing. I've been Tim Spears, your producer was Mike Zimmerman, and executive producer was Ian McIntosh. Michael Bailey will be here with you tomorrow. Until then, have a lovely day. The Athletic. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub an official partner of The Athletic.